When tragedy strikes, we like to send the suffering our thoughts and prayers. It's almost as if we think our prayers are magical wishes. By saying a few words, God will appear out of a bottle and make things right. But in reality, sending thoughts and prayers does nothing but make us feel better. It boosts our own ego and doesn't really help those facing the tragedy. But we are religious, you might say. Praying is what we do. Well, James doesn't agree. For him, being religious is putting your faith into action. It's walking the way by being merciful to those who are in need of mercy. For James, faith alone is not enough. It's faith with works that counts. To truly be religious, we have to understand what is meant by faith and by works. Whereas some Christians may think it's a boxing match between the two, and they're placing their bet on a knockout by faith, James shows us that they must coexist. The bottom line, faith without works is dead. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin Lyon. We continue our exploration of James chapter 2. Last week, we were looking at what James means by being religious. And you recall that James concludes that being religious is not about the ceremony, going to church, saying your prayers, lighting a candle, that sort of thing, but instead Being religious is about walking the way, that is, putting your faith into action. And specifically, it's about showing mercy to your poor neighbor. And you remember that we talked about what it means to be rich and poor. To be rich meant that you're able to share in God's gifts given to you. Now, this is symbolized by the land, Israel, the Holy Land. And to be poor was to be socially unfortunate. You were not able to keep the gifts that had been given to you by God or were not able to share in them. And so God's requirement is that we have mercy on the poor. And this is what it means to be religious, according to James. So let's continue on. This is chapter 2, picking up where we left off with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? So right away, we get into the controversy about faith and works. So what does James mean by faith? Well, he has a very specific idea in mind. Now, when we think about faith, the Greek word is pistis, we often think about belief. I have faith, or I believe something specific, such as there is one God, or that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe dogma, theology. We often talk about faith in that way. Do you believe this tenet or that tenet? That sort of thing. But that's not what James is talking about. In fact, he's purposely trying to reorient 
our definition of faith away from the idea of belief and dogma to an idea of action. So in order to get this across, maybe it would be better to translate pistis as trust or loyalty rather than faith. Because I think trust and loyalty gets across in English the definition that James is trying to get us to use. In English, when we say trust, that usually implies an action. When we trust someone, we usually have to go out on a limb, so to speak. We have to do something to show that trust, or we have to do something where we put ourselves in their hands. We have to trust them. There's an action that's implied, usually in English. Same thing with loyalty. If you are loyal to someone, you usually demonstrate that loyalty somehow. Or when a particular situation arises, you're able to demonstrate that loyalty. And if you want to think about the mafia and loyalty in that sense, I think it would be right to do so. Because remember, the Roman household or Roman society was essentially structured in the same way that we see the mafia being structured. The mob boss, the godfather, if you will, is the one who bestows grace, charis, or gifts to his clients, those below him, the people that work for him. And in return, the people that work for him are required to have faith or loyalty to the godfather. And this is exactly how the Roman economy worked, that you had the patron, who was like the mob boss, and he bestowed charis, or gifts, to those below him. And then the clients were to show pistis, trust, faithfulness, or loyalty to their patron. This is how Roman society worked. And it's probably the structure that James had in mind when he's using these words. The same structure for Paul, too. Because they grew up in this Roman world where they were client and patrons, And this is where these words come from, is this economic situation. So when we hear faith or pistis, we need to think of action. We need to think of walking the way. How we live our lives demonstrates our faith. And this is exactly what James is getting at. That faith is about how you live your life, not about what you believe mentally or what you feel in your heart. And this is exactly why he says, can your faith save you? And then he continues on with verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. So there's a precise example. James is saying, if you believe, but you don't put that faith into action, the poor person, the person who is socially unfortunate, will receive no help. They'll continue to be naked and go hungry and possibly die. So faith as a mental belief is of no use. This is what James is saying. And I can't help but think of an expression we have in English that we hear a lot, especially in times of disasters, and that is thoughts and prayers. You hear this all the time, and you see it 
all the time on Facebook in comments, sending prayers and good thoughts to someone, especially after a disaster. For example, Texas just went through a horrible cold spell, and a lot of people went without heat, they went without water, and in some cases their water pipes burst and destroyed their homes. And I saw all over the place sending thoughts and prayers to people in Texas. Well, just sending thoughts and prayers is not faith, according to James. That is not what it means to be religious. In fact, that's not religion at all. And James is condemning the idea of just sending thoughts and prayers. What James is saying is, when you see those Texans in need, why not donate to a charity that is helping out? Why not get in your car and go down there and help with a rebuilding? Why not do something? For James, this is walking the way. This is walking the way. It's more than sending thoughts and prayers. It's putting your money where your mouth is. Now, before we get too far, I also want to address the idea of what James means by works. Paul also talks a lot about works in his letters, and I think it's important that we understand exactly what's going on. And if you want, you can go back and find the podcast I did with Professor Matthew Thomas. He wrote an entire book about good works and what Paul means by that. Oftentimes, when we hear good works or works of the law, as Paul puts it in his letters, we think of any good works, everything, that there's no way we can save ourselves through good works by doing anything. And that's not what James means by good works, and that's not what Paul means by good works. David Bentley Hart, instead of translating it literally as good works or works of the law, he uses observances of the law instead. What Paul is condemning as works of the law, and the same thing that James is condemning here, is not just any good works, but rather observances of the law. And what they mean by this is specific ceremonial observances, such as circumcision, keeping kosher, keeping Sabbath, these sort of outward observances that show that you're part of the Judean or Jewish nation. These are the things that Paul and James says can't save you. And we just talked about this in James, what James means by religion is not the ceremony. And that's exactly what Paul is saying when he talks about these observances of the law. He's saying the ceremony can't save you. It doesn't matter if you light your candle, say your prayer, go to church on Sundays, keep the fast. Those observances of the law is not what matters. But both Paul and James do advocate for moral works. And as we know, those moral works can be summarized as loving your neighbor, having mercy on your neighbor. Because as James says, if we don't show mercy to others, God won't show mercy to us. So both of them advocate for moral works of the law. In fact, it's a part of what it means to be Christian. When we die in our baptism and put on Christ— We are called to live a particular way, which includes these moral works. And we see it in Paul's letters, especially in Corinthians chapter 13. He talks about love. And love is not just a feeling of the heart. 
but it's putting that feeling into action, loving your neighbor. And that can be demonstrated in a lot of different ways. If a mother loves her baby, she doesn't just say she has warm feelings for it, but she has to get up in the middle of the night to feed it. She has to get up and change his diaper. That love has to be put into action or it's just a feeling and meaningless. And that's exactly what both James and Paul are talking about. So they both condemn the observances of the law, which is the ceremony of religion, and they both advocate for the moral obligations of the law. That isn't to say that the ceremony is bad and that people can't get anything out of it, because they can The ceremony can be very meaningful to people. It can help us anchor our lives, especially in a world that's so chaotic and so fast-paced. Religion can help us slow down. But it has to go beyond those observances. It has to put your faith into action. It means that you have to live a particular way, walk the way, as we say on this podcast. Now, I know in the Protestant world, People like to talk about faith only, or faith alone. That someone is saved by faith alone. But I hate to tell you, faith and alone only appear in the same sentence here in James. And it's not about being saved by faith alone. Instead, here's what it says. This is verse 17 in the King James Version. So faith by itself, if it has no works is dead. And then I'm also going to jump ahead a little bit and go to verse 24, where James writes, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So in other words, the only time faith and only, or faith and alone, appear in Scripture is to say that one is not saved by faith alone, or faith only. For those Protestants who are out there listening to this, and you've been taught that we are saved by faith alone, that's not what Scripture says. That's not how Scripture words it. And in fact, as James had said above, judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And as we say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as... We forgive those who trespass against us. Both of these require us walking a particular way. It requires us showing moral works. So, as James says, faith by itself, if it has no works, it is dead. So then he continues in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. So here James is saying, if you encounter someone who is saying, I live by faith only, or I'm saved by faith alone, ask them to show you that faith without their works. They can't do it. Because someone who truly is a believer, whether they intend to or not, will be living a particular way, and their works will shine, will show through. There's a saint in the Orthodox Church that once said, always preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. That's exactly what James is saying here. He's saying, if someone says they have faith, but no works, they're lying to you. But I can show you my works to demonstrate my faith. 
That's what James is saying here in this verse. And then he continues, You believe that God is one. So notice that is dogma. That's theology. You believe in your mind or in your heart that God is one. That's a part of the creed. He goes, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So he pulls a fast one on them there. You believe that God is one? Well, that's good. You've got theology correct. But guess what? Even the demons believe that. And believing that God is one or having a particular set of doctrine in your head is no use to you because even the demons know that. So he goes on. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was it not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And there's that idea of faith alone again, and not by faith alone. So here James turns to the Old Testament as an example to show that what he's saying is correct. And he turns specifically to the patriarch Abraham, and his story can be found in the beginning of Genesis. And this is exactly what Paul does too. Paul also draws on the faith of Abraham to show that what they are preaching is consistent, that the coming of Christ has not changed anything, that God has always saved people by their faith. But as I said, this faith is not a mental belief, it's an action. And here we can see Abraham putting his faith into action. We know that Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland and go down into the Holy Land, this land that God would show him. Now, this was a big leap of faith, if you will, for Abraham, because in the ancient world, they didn't have travel insurance. Instead, if you fell upon hard times, you had to turn to family. And when Abraham left his homeland, he had to leave family behind. In other words, he was leaving behind any security or backup plan in case he got into trouble. He would have to make himself vulnerable. He would have no backup plan in case of an emergency. And we know he still had family there because his son and his grandson all go back to his homeland to find wives. So he had to take a big leap of faith by leaving his homeland and going on this way that God would show him. And the example that James specifically draws on is this idea of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Now, many of us are uncomfortable with this. Can you imagine? Abraham and Sarah were struggling with infertility. They couldn't have a son. And of course, the son was another insurance policy. It ensured that you would have someone to take care of you in your old age. And it also meant that your line would proceed on. There's a continuation of your genetic line. And this was very important, especially in this world. Can you imagine after struggling with all that infertility, and then precisely when God gives you a son, he asks you to sacrifice that son? This sounds insane to us. Well, we know that the stories in Scripture are here for edification. They're here to instruct us and teach us. 
And in fact, the story might be a bit exaggerated. Who knows? But the point of the story is to demonstrate what real faith looks like. Even though it sounds bizarre, even though it may make our skin crawl to think about sacrificing our only child, we can see that Abraham puts his faith first and foremost in God. And we should have that same determined faith or trust or loyalty in God. Of course, the story ends with God sending an angel to stop Abraham, and Isaac is okay. They end up sacrificing an animal instead. But the point of the story is to show, to demonstrate what sort of faith we are called to have. In other words, how are we to walk the way? How far are we to go? We are to put our complete trust, our complete faith, our complete loyalty in God even when it sounds counterintuitive. And that's the point that James is trying to make here, that faith has to be absolute, but it also requires action. Then he continues with verse 25 and uses another example from the Old Testament. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? So the story of Rahab is a story of the fall of Jericho. So you know the Hebrews had been freed from Pharaoh in Egypt. They'd wandered in the desert for 40 years, and finally they're entering into the promised land. And Joshua, and Joshua, by the way, is the same name as Jesus. Joshua is a direct translation from the Hebrew into English. And Jesus goes from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English. So Joshua and Jesus are the same name. But the Hebrews are entering into the promised land, being led by Joshua, and they come upon the town of Jericho. And Joshua sends two spies to kind of see what's going on. And the king of Jericho figures out that they're spies, and he starts looking for them. But it's a prostitute in Jericho who hides the spies and makes sure that they get out safely. So when the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, Rahab is saved because of her kindness, because of the mercy that she showed to the Israelites. She saved. And that's exactly what James is talking about. True religion is about showing mercy to the poor, about loving the poor. And in this case, the Israelites were strangers in a foreign land, and Rahab showed them mercy. She loved them. She gave them what they needed to survive so that they wouldn't be killed. And in turn, God shows her mercy. So this is a perfect example of everything that James has been talking about up to this point. So then he ends chapter 2 by saying, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So we know when someone dies, we talk about their soul has left their body. Their soul has gone up to be with Christ, to be in heaven. And the body is now worthless. So we take it and we bury it. There's no life in the body anymore. And James is using that as a metaphor. If your faith and your works are separated, and remember works here is the moral obligation of the law. We're not talking about the observances of the law. If your faith and your works is separated, it's like a corpse. It can't do anything. It's dead. 
all we should do is just take it out and bury it. And so James is emphasizing that within the community, they have to be walking the way, or it's of no use to them. And it's the same in our churches. How often do we write mission statements? The idea is that we have a mission statement which should put us into action. And I've talked all about the Thulos Leadership Program in previous podcasts. I encourage you to go back and listen to them. The idea of mission statements is to get us to go out and do, to go out and live our faith, to be good stewards of what we've been given, to be good neighbors in our community. And that means loving our neighbors and showing them mercy. Because if we're just a church that shows up on Sunday, says a few prayers and goes home, then we're really not a church. We're really not a community of God, and we haven't obeyed God's statutes. So my challenge to all of you this week is to find a way to put your faith into action, to live out your faith and walk the way and show mercy to others. So that's your challenge. We'll see you next week, and we'll pick up with James chapter 3. God bless.